Oh, hello. Thanks for coming in today and take a seat right over here. So, walk me through your resume. What are your greatest strengths? Tell me three ways you've been working on improving your sales. What's plan? the biggest professional mistake you've ever made? How do you develop your team? Why did you take a marketing rotation when you could have worked for a promotion in your career? Do you want the title of this job or this job? Why you? On today's KL podcast, the second part of our mini series, where we focus on the interview. Wipe your palms on your pants and let's get ready to go. All right, everybody, welcome back to the KL podcast. We are glad to have you back here. And the second part of this mini series that we're putting together about being qualified for a job and now moving into the interview stage of the job, we're going to talk today about how you interview. What to look out for, pitfalls, tips, uh, you know, the, what you should do ahead of time. All of that good stuff. Yeah, there you go. Now, now that we've convinced you, you could do it. <laughs> we're going to try <laughs> to talk you through it. actually getting a job. And also we're going to touch on virtual interviewing because that's a whole different ballgame. Oh, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, do you wear a suit in a virtual interview? I mean, I think no so. Yeah. I, At least half a suit. I think <laughs> the top half, right? Exactly. I mean, Henry, you're talking to the guy who puts on a suit for a phone interview. Mm. So, so I got to tell you guys, I'd had an interview earlier this week. I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. And I did not only put on a suit and tie for it. I had dress shoes on. Mm. I put on cologne. I, yeah. I did the whole, because my exact same thing you just said to him, my thought process was how is this different than a phone interview, which I've done a million times in the past. I get into the part of I'm putting my very best foot forward I've yeah, right. a long time yeah. for this role. I, though I'm not going to let anything chance, especially little things like, did I look prepared? Do I look the part? And, and people yeah. critique everything. Yeah. So, yeah, you so know, I, I, I did. I do have to ask this question, Henry. And those of you that know Henry will understand it. And those of you that don't, well, you, you will after this. But what I need to know is if you went socks or no socks. My exact question. <laughs> Not only did I go socks, I went socks that match the carpet of the office where I would be working if we were in the office. Mm, Nobody even saw these socks. Nobody even saw them. <laughs> it was just for me. Wow. The evolution I, of Henry Pyle. I love I, it. You know, I was commented that I was wearing a suit and I, I, I was prepared for somebody to say, but are you wearing dress shoes? And I was going to say, I am and show them if they wanted to see just to validate the fact that I came prepared. I was ready to do work. Yeah. Everybody's different. Uh, but for me, look good, feel good. Yeah. Right. You know, I, yeah. I'm i at my best when I'm confident with my appearance. For sure. I think it was, uh, it was Deion Sanders that said, if you, if you look good, you play good. And if you play good, they pay good. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Wise words. Yeah, yeah. You know, and honestly, going back to that, though, I think that's one of the easy controllables you know, that can set you apart. It, it it really is. I mean, just, just dress up for the, for the interview. That's one of the things that you can absolutely control. You don't know what's going to happen in the room or if it's going to leave the tracks, but that's one of the boxes that you can pretty easily check. And so I just say, do it. Yeah. So you yeah, know, what I, what I love is, um, and I counsel a lot of people who are interviewing a lot. And a lot of times they will say, well, I don't think it's right that they should judge me on my appearance. <laughs> I'm like, nobody cares what you think is right. <laughs> Do you want the job or not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have no leverage here. They have yeah. multiple candidates. 
do you want to win the job or not? Yeah. I mean, you know, exactly. do you want to be the person who wins the job or do you want to be the person who loses the job and then gets to complain on the back end because you feel you were unfairly judged? Like, what's yeah. your objective here? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. That, that's, I mean, I've said similar to that, Tim. It's the process is competitive by nature. That's it right. is a competition. You should be doing everything that you can to set yourself apart or to yeah. separate yourself from the competition. So, yeah, that, that's always funny to me too when I hear that. And the truth is, like, take a step back and ask that person, how many times have you judged a person based on their appearance when they walk into the room? Honestly, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying you've verbalized it, but mentally, it's, you've thought about how, it. How many times have you formed an opinion based on the way that person decided to put themselves together? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so you, we, you want them to be able to visualize you in the role. Exactly. And part of that is your, is your presentation of yourself. We dove, we dove straight in to uh, how you dress for an interview. We should probably back up a little bit and get to the part about, you know, what you do to get ready for the interview. And, and, and in preparation for this conversation, I started to think to myself, where does the word interview come from? I don't even know, like, the history of the word. So I was diving into it. It's a French word. Uh, and it didn't really take hold in the U.S. until the early 1900s. And it, at that point, it was actually mostly about military uh, preparing to go into the military. And it wasn't until the mid-1900s, like the 1950s, where it even became a word associated with getting a job. It's mostly just a word associated with having a conversation and being seen face-to-face -face in a conversation. So, really? uh, yeah, so what we're doing right now is having an interview. You would have, oh, I'm going to go and have an interview with someone. I thought it was interesting, you know, yeah. that it was mostly about a conversation. And I think that that's, that's, the conversation pieces, but I'm really mostly uh, 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 digging in on here because the question is, when does the interview start? We talk about how we're going to get prepared for the interview, but is the preparation the actual beginning of the interview? Those conversations you're having with the people who may influence the outcome, who may be your potential future coworkers, who may be the actual hiring manager. Does the interview begin the moment you start inquiring about the job or does it begin when you sit down in the room, suit and tie, ready to talk about or ready to answer these questions? Well, I think it begins before that. Yeah. Um, because I think each of us actually spend our entire careers slash lives building a brand. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't think we're capable if we've lived, you know, how many ever years and created a poor brand and then, oh, I'm just going to turn turn the switch on and I'm going to inquire about this job. So I actually think the interview begins at the beginning of your professional career, maybe before right. that, it's your, in your education. Anything that, you know, anything that you've touched on in your life that might be applicable, applicable or relevant to the interview, that's when it started. I mean, that's a really loose answer, but you can't get away from a lot of stuff that you've done in the past in an interview sometimes, right. good or bad. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a conversation of branding, like you mentioned, Tim, and then it's also, I mean, they, they're kind of hand in hand, but networking as well. You had to have been planting those seeds of relationship, I mean, well before that job posted in order to amplify your, your opportunity or your chances of, of getting that role. So, I mean, I've heard it said every day is an interview. Every day is an interview because that's your. Dion Sanders said that too, didn't he? <laughs> it might have been Barry Sanders. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> Bernie Sanders. There you go. But no, I genuinely, I believe that every day is an interview with the interactions that you have because, like Tim mentioned, you are you are planting seeds 
um, positive or negative towards your brand and, and those connections that you make. And we all know, we, I mean, we work for a big company, but it's pretty small world once you're inside that company and everything's cyclical and you, you come across the same people over and over and over. See, and that's I would where you say it's a small world within the industry. Sure. I mean, the, in, the industry's yep. small. Yeah. Because if you interview with someone, you know, with a company that's in the technology industry, well, let's put it this way. If somebody's been in the technology industry and they interview with me, give me five questions and I'm like, oh, yeah, so you know such and such. I mean, this industry is massive, but it's also a very small world. Yeah. Well, it, and, and I mean, you start to think about the, like, the circles that we travel in. You, uh, you can think back to the, our friendship conversation from a couple of weeks ago, that friendship conversation, you know, th- that circle of 150 some odd people that we have in our, in, our, in our group overlaps. So not only is it industry, it's also community. It's also social network. It, it could even be family. It could be professional organizations outside of uh, the industry itself. And, you know, I can think of an example where I went and, and got a job in an industry that was completely separate from anything I've ever done. But the reason I was able to, to land that job was because the people who ran the business knew the people that uh, uh, worked in the other business where I was currently employed. And, you know, they, but they, they were completely unrelated. So all of these circles are like a Venn diagram over, overlapping in little parts here and there. So you're right, your brand does precede you. But in the instance where it doesn't, in the instance where you don't know this industry and they don't know you and you're going to start doing your inquiries. I believe that the interview begins the moment you start meeting with somebody. The moment you tell them that you're interested in the job, that person knowingly or not is interviewing you for you, for that role. They're going to give feedback to somebody and that person's going to take that feedback and they're going to apply it toward the hiring decision. So you yeah. probably should come dress for the part the moment you start to inquire. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, you know, we, there's a lot of answers to that question about when the interview starts, you know, you read all, all kinds of stories online about, you know, somebody will go to an interview and treat the uh, security guard at the front desk really poorly. And then it just turns out that security guard has a really good relationship with the hiring manager, you know, and they knocked it out of the park in the interview, but they acted like trash to the security guard. And then, you know, the whole thing shot. So yeah, I mean, it could start at a bunch of different places. I'll just add, you know, we don't have to piece together all these concentric circles that Henry's talking about. Social media does it for us. I mean, two <laughs> clicks of a button and I'm that's, like, who's my shared true. connections? Oh, yep, okay, right. let me give them a call. I mean, yep. I I don't have to figure this out. I mean, I can connect with somebody in five minutes, you know? That's very true. Right. Well, it goes back to our previous conversations and it's it's a different direction, but every encounter matters. Right. The way you treat people matters because we're more connected now than we've ever been virtually. And, you know, and like you mentioned, Tim, you know, a couple of clicks on social media and I can get the I can get the really reels about some people. That's right. Well, yeah. for those who've been who've been riding along with us for a long time, I mean, you can think back to our everyday leadership conversation, because the inverse of that is, you know, we talk a lot about having a positive impact on someone's life and you don't even know it, you could have also had a really negative impact on someone's life and not know it. And that person could be an influencer in the the outcome of that decision to hire you. So, you know, we talked about dressing up, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, Tim mentioned, you know, this virtual environment and Zoom call interviews. Let's talk about what you should think about when you're going into a video interview, because it's different than an in-person interview or a phone interview. Right. What are some of the key things that uh, that you would want to impart 
on some folks. Well, let's start here. Josh, have you interviewed virtually? I have not interviewed virtually, not since the pandemic. I mean, I've done phone interviews, but I think yeah. we should incorporate, you know, video into that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think you and I are on the same page, Josh. I've clearly, I have some experience with phone interviews um, on both sides, you know, of the interviewing relationship, but I haven't had a Zoom or a video interview. And so I guess Henry is actually the one who has frontline experience there, but I would, I would guess that you want to make sure the stage is set. You want to make sure that you, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on your background when it comes to video. You know, I don't think it has to be perfect, but I do think you need to probably make sure that distractions are minimized. A lot of people, I've actually seen people feel like, oh, we're working remotely now. So I want to prove that I can, that I can work in this environment and I'll just have people coming and going and at work, you know, have kids sitting in laps and all kinds of stuff, you know, like you're, they're embracing the remote workplace. The interview is not the place to prove that. (laughs) It's not the place to prove that. I mean, you can prove that later on after you get a job, but it needs to be a quiet, very, you know, very set stage with no distractions. Well, it's 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 your best first impression is what right. you're trying to create. And now That's instead right. of it just being like, I want to look good and know my information, you've also got to produce this environment that says, mm-hmm. I work in a secure, quiet, professional, professional space. Yeah. And let me tell you guys, because you're right, I, I have experience with this. Let me tell you something uh, that from the interviewee perspective that was I was unprepared for. One of the interviewers was outside um, and, uh, uh, and then, then decided mm. to go inside. So there was this, just this like kind of, I don't know, earth video earthquake that was happening with all this distraction on the screen and then proceeded to send emails or, or type or something. Cause the camera for this interviewer was low on their, was at the bottom of their monitor. So I was looking at their fingers and their face was above it. I could just sit there and watch them typing and it, I mean, I think that whether you're on this side or that side, the interviewer, interviewee, you have to show that you are fully engaged in this. You right. Taking notes makes sense. But if at any point it looks or appears like you're not, especially if you're going to, even in person, we would say, I've got my notebook to take notes on this interview. Um, you should clarify that because For it sure. can look like you're not taking notes. And yeah, it, maybe, you know, maybe part three in this series is, tips for an interviewer interviewer yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good idea it's important because you're making an impression of your organization this is right. your last best impression whereas right. it, it was my first theoretically my first best impression yeah i mean that's exactly right henry and i think it's important to call out and we've actually when we were doing in-person <laughs> workshops you know many moons ago and we we talked about interviewing you know the days of that candidate being in oh, the only person interviewed in that room are really I mean, they're over. That candidate is interviewing you as well. Right. And if you're not putting your best foot forward, the same expectation you would have from that candidate, it's it's a bad reflection on the organization. Absolutely, it is. So, so other than this interviewer, like jostling around and moving inside and out, Jocelyn. which is <laughs> mind blowing to me. Um, so it was a little. Other boring. than that, yes. What was the biggest surprise for interviewing virtually, Henry? I'm really interested in this. And, you know, it's strangely enough, and part of it has to do with the pandemic because, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, 
you know, beginning of Armageddon, we're not going to hire any people. I haven't been on the other side of interviewing either some mock interviews, but I haven't hired anybody during the pandemic. So, you know, although I communicate with people via video all day long, I haven't actually been involved in an interview. So what was, was there another point that maybe was surprising and different about a virtual interview as opposed to in person? Uh, well, I'm going to give a classic Tim Carter answer on this and say, yes, there was and no, there wasn't. Uh, I'll talk about the no side first. It was just as professional, just as in-depth and detailed, really great questions, strong conversation. It felt exactly like I was having this conversation with these people in person. I could have been in the room with them. So that part felt exactly the same. But there were a few moments where it was so obvious that it, we weren't where it got very casual, where we talked about, in the middle of the interview, talking about our homes and where we live and what the space around us is like. You know, it's it's sort of like admitting, oh yeah, we're actually on a Zoom call having this interview. It's not really the same as in the office. And, you know, for me at least, those moments like help depressurize the situation. Um, but uh, But for the most part, I mean, it ran it was a professional interview and it ran like a professional interview. And I felt like I was interviewing for a, a, you know, a very important role. And these people were very interested. Now it was a little distracting when people would turn their cameras on and off. It made me, you know, typically in meetings and people do that, it's because someone enters the room or maybe they're sneezing in a real interview. Someone may enter the room or someone may sneeze and that's okay. But the cameras turning on and off left me wondering what might be happening at that moment. But you know, my my job was to continue on with my message and let these guys do whatever they needed to do and just hope they got it. Yeah. That's a good call out though, Henry, really, because even in a broader conversation, not an interview, that's distracting for me when people go on and off camera, because generally that means they're either distracted or like you said, someone came in, maybe they needed a bio break, whatever it is. But I mean, it, it's up to your imagination at that point. Um, but as an interviewer, that's a great tip, I think, is, hey, make sure you're, you've set up for it to where you are on camera and not, not providing additional distraction to the interview. The, I, I you, tell you, did the, you take the, notes, Henry? Oh, I took a lot notes? of notes. I did. I took no, notes. No, no, yeah. no. I don't mean, did you like take notes, but did you bring notes with you? I feel like the, oh, inter- yeah. I feel like the interviewee has a real advantage virtually versus in person yeah. because it's not hard to have notes on your screen, you know, while you're talking. And if you're good, you can do that seamlessly and nobody even knows, you know, if you're not good, then it turns clunky and prescriptive and you seem like you're reading, but you can't even really try that in an in-person interview or you'll get run out of there. You know, if you bring in notes and like every question they ask, you're looking at your notes to see how you're going to answer it. Right. Um, but it seems like it would be an advantage to be able to bring notes. And, you know, Tim, it just, just occurred to me, and I, I'm going to go back to this real quick. You asked me what was different. Here's the biggest difference between a, a virtual call, a virtual interview, and an in-person interview. It was the end. The end of the interview was s- strange. We had gone over on time, and I made it. I, I, had, I wanted to ask some questions. I asked one, and then I said, hey, we're over on time. Uh, can I ask more? And they said, uh, no, sorry, we've got another call. Thanks for talking. Great to meet you. And just dropped. 
And you know, in a room, <laughs> it, it's funny, right? It wasn't funny for me at the time. It was, sure. I was like, oh. But in a room, you would do the exact same thing. Hey, I'm sorry. Listen, let's catch up later. And you would shake hands and you would all leave together. And it would feel like a slow dissolve. But when that, when people would just like drop and it just goes to black, yeah. oh man, I, <laughs> I got done. I was like, well, I just got punched in the gut on that call. Who knows how everything went? The end was a miserable ending. So you talked a little bit about verbal drafting, Henry. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer in verbal drafting, man. I draft everything. I draft talks to my kids. I mean, I've <laughs> like, I verbally draft nonstop all the time. How else did you prepare? Um, talk us through good preparation because I know you prepared well for this position. Yeah. So I'll talk to you through my preparation. I appreciate you thinking that it's good and I hope it was, but I'll tell you what I did. So, um, I looked at, after meeting with the hiring manager to talk about the role, I, I, I got a, a sense of, you know, um, how much people knew about this. And I was, I was told right away that the, that the team that, uh, that would be supported wasn't aware that the, the manager was leaving. So those people were now off limits. So what I did was I talked to all the people that the role would be influencing. I talked to the peers I would work with, uh, both inside and outside the organization. And I talked to the leaders who had a stake in this organization's success. And I wanted to know from them what good looked like, where the gaps were, uh, and, and what they hoped the person who, filling, who was going to fill that role, what skills they hoped that person would have. And then I, I had to sit back and say, do I meet these needs? Can I, can I accomplish this? I had to take a hard look at myself and determine whether or not I thought I could do that. Um, and, then, uh, and then I would build a plan around how I would approach that, the, the issues that they brought up. And um, hopefully understanding what their needs were meant that when I came into the interview, they were going to ask me questions about those things. And I would be able to address it right there in the, in the interview and be very thoughtful about it. And I'll tell you that that was the feedback I got during the process was that I had done more research and was more prepared for the role than even the people who were coming from within the organization. Hmm. So, you know, that I, I think to me, that's the most important thing you can do. Plus, those people are going to influence the outcome, whether they're on the interview or not, because they all know that the role is being filled. Yeah. I mean, I think research is everything. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to speak with other people and ask them you know, what do you think about this job? What do you think about the people in this organization? You know, they kind of want to prepare in a silo, but you're spot on, man. I mean, you got to reach out to as many people as possible. As you go through the process, you right. should be thinking to yourself, I want to do more than the people that I'm competing against because that's how you, that's how you get an advantage. Yeah. And then the verbal drafting piece is so critical. Uh, I know we've talked about that already, but I just want to say that I do think that you could, you got to be careful going, in my opinion, you got to be careful going to a, a large number of people to say, give me feedback on my deck, my answers, my presentation. You want to go to those people that you trust, a smaller number, because then you start to get a lot of conflicting information and that can create some, if you have to, any amount of self-doubt that can doubt. really exacerbate yeah. it. So, I, I mean, my suggestion is you find a couple of people that you really trust, you get their feedback, and then you find out what works best for you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the verbal drafting piece is, you know, so I want to, if there are any people who don't verbally draft right now, you got to explain what it is. I think maybe yeah. it's not clear. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, this might be a new concept. I don't know. You actually say the words out loud. Yeah. <laughs> how you would answer a question. So, and, the, and this is the thing. If you don't verbally draft, 
you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I have the answer. I have the answer written down. I've taken yeah. notes. If they ask this question, this is what I'm going to say. Well, then you go next level when you actually say it. Because for me, a lot of times I'll start answering the question. Yeah, and this sounds like really weird. I do it in the car a lot. So I'll be in the car and I'll just be talking. You know, if somebody drives by me, they just think I'm a nut or they probably think I'm on a call, but I'm just there talking to myself. And so I'm running through how I would answer the question and never fail. The first one or two times I go, ah, oh, no, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. That, that comes across a certain way that I'm not trying to make it sound like. It's better if I say it this way, then I'll try it a different way. So the fact that you have a message written down doesn't mean that you're going to be able to articulate it in the way that you want. And Absolutely. verbal drafting helps you with that because you actually are able to hear the words yeah. like, oh, man, that sounds weak. Oh, that sounds condescending. Oh, you get a feel for how it sounds. And that's the value of verbal drafting. Yeah, no, I'll, I can admit to you guys, this is the first time I've heard verbal verbal drafting, <laughs> but I do that. I've just never heard it called verbal drafting before. And I tell you where it helps me the most is, I mean, many times the the thought that I want to convey, it's I've got too many words behind it and I have to say it and then condense it and then say it right. and then condense it and then, okay, yes, this is the way I want to answer that or this is the way I want to get my point across. And that way I'm, you know, I'm working on brevity because I think that's key as well in an interview is yeah. number one, make sure you answer the question they asked. And then number two, make sure you don't take a long drive around the country to answer it. Um, you want to be effective, but you want to be brief, you know, as brief as you can to be impactful. But uh, that's where it helps me. But I appreciate you too. I never knew yeah. verbal draft. Well, I mean, if you, you know, if you really get deep into the research, you start the verbal drafting. Oh, if they ask this question, this is how I'm going to answer it. Then you say the answer and you get that right. Well, then you say, what's the follow-up question they're going to ask based yeah. on that answer. Then you think of that. Then you're like, oh, okay, this is how the conversation's going to go. So this is the next thing I'm going to say. You can go all the way. You can like verbally draft an entire conversation. Right. You know, you really can. It helps a ton. For well, sure. I'm glad we, I'm glad we clarified it because any NASCAR fans out there are going to wonder what the hell verbal draft is. It's <laughs> right. super confusing. For you go. Now, hey, Tim, to piggyback off what you were saying there, I think the other piece of that too is whenever you're mentally preparing yourself for that conversation, it helps you to drive it as well, right? Because, I mean, you're you're anticipating the questions that they may ask, but I think with your answers, it helps you direct that conversation to where it points a little more to your strengths as well. So, yeah, it's super important. So yeah. we've talked about uh, we've talked about the differences between virtual phone and in person, some of the similarities. We've talked about you know making sure you look the part, being aware of your background. Now we've gone through research and practice, but you know despite all of that, you finally get into that interview and somebody asks you something that you hadn't thought about, or they ask you maybe they really drill into something that you weren't fully prepared for. Those yeah. difficult questions, and some of them are not really difficult. You're just not prepared for them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you guys have a good example of 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 a time you've been on that side of it, or well, uh, how I, do you handle it? Well, how I handle it is I'm always honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. To to my detriment sometimes, but you know when I'm going into an interview, I don't say I hope I do good. I hope I get the job. I hope they like me. None of that crosses my mind. I have one objective when I go into that interview, and that is to accurately represent who I am and my body of work. Uh, so good. If, though. if they like it, that's great. 
I just try to be honest. That's it. But I will tell you, you know, and I don't even know if we're going to include this one or not, but this was a train wreck of an interview and I did not get this job. And I knew exactly the moment I didn't get the job. I was in an interview and this is probably 25 years ago. I was young. I was interviewing with this marketing. Yeah. I was only like 40 or so. (laughs) (laughs) So I was interviewing with this marketing company in Waco, Texas, which is where I'm from. And it was like the premier job in Waco. I mean, like if you were a young up and comer, you wanted to work at this marketing company and they represented Baylor, which is like, you know, that's who you want to represent if you're living in Waco. And so I get in this interview and I mean, it is just so, these are the people you want to work with, man. I mean, they're young, they're energetic. They're just, it's great. And so I get in there with this guy who owns the company. He asked me some questions. I'm rocking right along. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And he says, I see you're a graduate of Texas A&M University. I said, yes, sir. Proud graduate. And he says, so, you know, we, we handle the marketing for Baylor. If you were in the press box with us at a Baylor Texas A&M sporting event, And you are with a bunch of the Baylor customers that we represent. Would you be able to root for Baylor? I said, I mean, I think, I I think what I initially said was, are you kidding me? (laughs) And he goes, no, this is important. I need to know the answer to this. I mean, could, you know, even though you don't, don't clearly you have a preference, but could you root for Baylor in that situation? And I said, no, it's no way. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't. And so, and he's, I mean, he might've asked one more question, but the interview the was, was over. out it of the room. It was over at that point because all he could picture was me being in the press box with his most valued customer, just like, yes, <laughs> kill him. And I was 100% unprepared for that question. I, but I was honest about it. Yeah. But, you know, here's the reality. I accurately represented myself. Yeah. And, you know, if that's not what he wanted, then he made the right decision. And it's probably best for me because I certainly didn't want to be in that position. That's just not attractive to me. Yeah, it stings but in that moment, though, doesn't it? It like, hurts oh, a lot yeah. in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And then you start talking to people after the interview and they're like, just couldn't lie about it, could you? I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I, I couldn't. Just, I really you just couldn't. couldn't misrepresent yourself, could you? Yeah, just this one time you couldn't, you couldn't say, oh, well, my dad went to Baylor and I grew up going to Baylor sporting events. I could surely do that. I just I love Baylor. So. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, when when you get those questions, have you been in that position, Josh? Because I'm curious, like, when it happens. Uh, and and it, not a question where you're going to have to give an answer you know they're going to hate, but like one right. where you you don't exactly know what to say. Yeah, I mean, I have certainly. I mean, it'd be hard for me to give you specific instances of it, but I can tell you over time, my approach to that has changed. I mean, a 180 where in, you know, the earlier parts of my professional career, you know, I just try to throw something out there that I thought they wanted to hear. And usually the way that ends up coming out is me just over speaking on the topic and not really answering the question and just saying way too many words, yeah. and not really going anywhere. Yeah. Um, or now I'm just, I'm, I'm honest as well. If I don't know, I'm going to say, I don't know, you know, but I'm more than happy to follow up with them after the interview with, 
you know, with what I find, or I'll, I'll ask for more clarity. I'll ask, I'll dig a little deeper with a question back to try to really understand what it is they're trying to know right. from that. Um, so, I mean, it's evolved for sure over time, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it just leads to so much awkwardness when you start speaking on something you're not sure about, or you don't have the answer to. Um, and I feel personally, anyway, it digs you in a hole that's, that's pretty hard to get out of at that point in the interview, if you're just not upfront and, and honest on that. And anymore, I, I think the dynamics of interviews have changed and people can appreciate that you're being honest, um, you know, with the, with the assumption that the rest of the interview has gone really well. Um, right. I think they can appreciate that honesty. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't say, I'm unsure of that. Let me get back to you on every single question right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. or you're yeah. done. Right. But right. if they ask you a trick question, I think you're exactly right, Josh, you yeah. drill down, you ask some follow-up questions. And then based on what they say, if you still don't have a good answer, then it's just a board. I mean, you yeah. tell them, I don't have the answer to that right now, but I'll be happy to do some research and get it for you because what they're going to do is you make something up. Then they're going to start asking follow-up questions yeah. because they can smell blood in the water. Yeah. And then, or because they're genuinely curious and you don't know where to go. You know, <laughs> so uh, the New York times has, a, has an article about this and they talk about how to respond to difficult questions. And one of the things they, the way they shaped the conversation was sometimes difficult questions aren't really difficult because you don't know the answer. They're difficult because the question doesn't make any sense. You know, but it tells you a lot about the person asking the question. If it's something like how many paper clips fit in a Volkswagen bus, I mean, unless you're trying to get a job where you count the number of paper clips in a Volkswagen bus, I'm really stretched to understand why that's relevant. If it's about a thought process, maybe that's okay. But it, for, for me, like whenever people ask questions like, what's your greatest weakness? You know, you can take the Michael Scott approach and say, I just care too much and I work too hard <laughs> or, or you can flip it into uh, what we, what we typically use, which are competency-based interview questions and, um, and, and answers that follow a uh, example uh, action result format. And you can say, let me, you know, I, one of my challenges is, and I deal with that by, and as a result, I have learned. And, and, and so you kind of, take a, a bad question or a difficult question and just shape the answer into something that makes a lot more sense. I've, res, I've been in many interviews where people just ask dumb questions and I've figured out yeah. ways to give them good answers to bad questions. Well, and some, let's be honest, sometimes when they ask questions like that, that don't make sense, what they really want to see is you, how you react. They want to see how you communicate you know, the, the answer is how you react and how you communicate. Right. You know, they're not going to say, you know, oh, well, clearly you can get a lot more paper clips in a van than that. I mean, <laughs> that, the, the answer really doesn't matter. It's how you react and how you communicate. Yeah, um, that's true. That's true. You know, you hear a lot about these, these Google interview questions uh you know people who went to work at google early on and they oh yeah wire manhole covers around and things like oh, yeah. that you know it's you know it is about how you respond to a stressful situation if the job itself is stressful and i've been on the other side of that where i know that i'm hiring for a very complex account set with very intense customers and i've created an intense and complicated interview just to see how the person responded to those questions but i only really did that when I knew this person is so close to being right, this is the only thing I don't know. And I won't know it unless they're in the role. And that's a big risk. So I want to try it out right now 
And if they handle this well, I can coach the rest of it. Yeah. Back to the weaknesses question, Henry. And you yeah. know, that, that gets asked in every interview. What's your biggest weakness? You know, one end of the spectrum, like you said, is trying to shape a strength as a weakness. Right. You know, I'm just too humble. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably the most humble person you'll ever meet. I'm, you know, that, that just, that doesn't play at all. Uh, but also you don't want to answer with a weakness that doesn't seem like it can be corrected. So you really want to focus on, you know, if you're interviewing for a sales job and they say, what's your greatest weakness and say, you know what, I really have a problem closing a deal. Um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that gets better in this new job. <laughs> that's not a good answer because thanks for taking a chance on me. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thanks for taking a chance on somebody who can't sell for a sales job. Um, but you know, you want to focus on a weakness or an opportunity that you can actually correct. Correct. Yeah. Some something that when you say it to them, then the interviewer thinks to itself, him or herself, I can help them with this. Yeah. But you don't want to present some some opportunity or challenge or weakness where the interviewer is thinking to themselves, that's going to be something we can't get past. <laughs> so that's a very yeah. critical question. It's yeah, funny. It, it kind of goes back to the CBBI stuff you were talking about, Henry, and, and with what you're saying, Tim, I, I do think that that's critical. And, and I think it's good to mention how you've been working on that as well, right? To just not shed a spotlight on the problem, but what you're doing to mitigate that and the progress you've made. But I mean, for the sake of the question, I've still got some growth, you know, that needs to happen in that. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's to me, that says a lot about the person, too, if they're just pointing out an issue, but not really talking through how they're trying to correct that or fix it or steps they're taking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you when you tell people that you're still growing, I mean, that offers up some level of self-awareness. But at the same time, it lets the interviewer know you're not a finished product. I mean, they're they're grabbing someone who has potential to be even better than they've been in the past. That's really important. So Josh mentioned CBBI. I, I said this earlier, but just to clarify, that is competency-based behavioral interview questions. And those you hear those and, and they sound like, tell me about a time when. And the thought process is um, that you're going to pull something from someone's past to get a better prediction of how they're going to respond in the future. And in some of these articles I was reading in preparation for this, you know, tenured employees and savvy salespeople and smart folks, they can game those answers. They understand those questions and can game those answers. So you really do have to dig in deep. And, uh, and, but I think that, you know, from the interviewee perspective, I just, I, I mean, I'll tell people when I'm interviewing them, I'll tell them, I want you to answer these questions with an example of, uh, of the situation, with the action you took in that situation, and what happened as a result of your action. And as a bonus, what'd you learn from it? And I call that the Earl format. Uh, I'm always looking for Earl in the interviews. But if they can answer in that format, then I can sometimes ask a poor, poorly worded question and still get a really good answer. Or I can follow up and ask, tell me about the action you took there. So what did you learn from that? And that helps me understand a lot more about how this person thinks. And then with the yeah. follow-up questions, I can really dig in and, and find out whether they're giving me a truthful response. So as the interviewee, it's important for you to remember that the interview actually starts with the brand that you've built through your career. That's going to be a major component of the interview. Um, but you also need to research how you're going to present yourself. Critically important. If it's a virtual interview, which most are right now, you need to be cognizant of 
testing your technology. You need to be, be sure to dress appropriately, minimize distractions in the background. When you get into the interview, you know, don't stress out. There's going to be some tough questions. If you don't understand a question, then, then ask follow-up questions to clarify and try to answer your questions in a format that's easy to remember. Example, action, result. Most importantly, be honest. Your goal in that interview is to accurately represent yourself. Good luck out there. We hope you enjoyed this two-part mini-series on job qualifications and interviewing skills. Now, we know these ideas are not necessarily silver bullets that are going to help you get every single job, but they can help set you up to have a more successful, more confident interview. So go out there and get it. For more KL podcasts, visit kindleadershipproject.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or find us on your favorite streaming service. This podcast is an expression of the views of Kind Leadership and its team. We're always open for discussion, so find us on social media and give us your thoughts.